Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. This is a bonus edition, taking a deep dive into what we know about how a Labour government would approach planning and examining the planning implications of May's local election results. But before we get into that, here are the key news stories from the past seven days. Up first, the government is proposing introducing two new permitted development rights, allowing the conversion of vacant high street premises to support its plans to reduce high street vacancy via a new auction process known as high street rental auctions, which are being brought forward via the levelling up and regeneration bill. However, a campaign group has warned that the plans to introduce further deregulation could be devastating for urban pubs. In other news, the government has published new guidance that requires local planning authorities to report how they have complied with their duty to conserve and enhance biodiversity, including how they have taken into account local nature recovery strategies, species conservation strategies and protected site strategies, all established under the Environment Act 2021. Some big news in the planning consultancy sector. Turley has announced the appointment of Stephen Bell as its new chief executive, who takes over from Dave Trimingham. Next, a damning report by government watchdog Audit Wales has found fundamental weaknesses and significant cultural, strategic and operational challenges in the planning service of Powys County Council after it merged its enforcement and development management teams. Finally, two stories about councils that changed control in May's local elections. A newly formed Labour and Liberal Democrat joint administration of Canterbury City Council in Kent has said it will establish a new cross-party working group to redraft the city's controversial local plan within its first 100 days in office. And in Essex, the newly elected Liberal Democrat leader of Brentwood Borough Council has said that all planning committee members will be required to undergo training in the rules and regulations of planning in order to be permitted to vote at meetings. Thanks, John. And of course, more details on each of those stories can be found on planningresource.co.uk. OK, so now to return to Room 106 for our deep dive. Best of luck. Well, here I am again in the cavern in which all new planning information gathers. It looks as if somebody's been chiselling out a new shelf for the finalised version of the new National Planning Policy Framework, but as yet, it's still empty. One of our purposes this week is to look in a little more detail at what Labour politicians have recently been saying about planning, bearing in mind that victory in the next general election will put them in control of the system. So somewhere down here, I'm hoping we'll find our regular contributor, Ben Cochin, who's been poring over the press statements and newspaper cuttings. Ah, Ben. Hi, Richard. Ben, you're, you're surrounded by what looks like hundreds of column inches of newspaper cuttings. So what has Labour been saying in recent weeks about what it would do on planning policy? It's interesting because this last couple of weeks, Labour's clearly woken up to planning policy. I think there have been a number of things that are happening, which I think you're going to talk about later, around the local council elections and more confidence to speak about and make proposals on how they're going to address planning and and particularly housing supply. They've seen this as an issue that they can show that they're going to do something different to the Tories. And so because the, the, the Tories seem to have gone weak on house building targets, they've said, 
we're going to keep to house building targets and we're going to require councils to build or to commit to securing that level of building. What exactly are they saying on that, Ben? Because, of course, it's slightly confusing at the moment because the government keeps on talking as if that it's abolished what it describes as housing targets. And, of course, people who work in the sector know that there's no such thing really as as housing targets as such. There's a formula out there which local authorities use to create a sort of starting point for producing the housing requirement numbers that go into their their local plans. But the Tories keep saying that they've abolished housing targets. Labour keeps saying they're going to, or are now saying they're going to restore them. But of course, these targets don't really exist. So what exactly is it that Starmer and Labour are saying? Well, they uh, have committed to reintroducing requirements on local areas to build in line with local need. Now, you may well ask, what does that mean? Well, I think at its very basic, what there is, is in the revisions to the NPPF, the government's clearly proposing to go weak on local house building targets that currently councils have to demonstrate they've got enough um, housing land to meet those needs. But under the revisions, it's unclear whether they would still have to. Those revisions to the NPPF have not yet been confirmed. And there is a possibility, some people have said to me, that Michael Gove actually is rather keen on the targets and he may not approve them. We don't know. But Labour has said quite firmly it's into targets and there will be carrots and sticks if you don't achieve them. So presumably it wants to, um, as you say, that the government hasn't done this yet. But if the government does follow through on this sort of weakening of the link between the number of homes needed that's produced by their standard method, if they weaken the link between that figure and the figure that eventually appears or that councils eventually have to put in their local plans, then the inference is, although I think I'm right in saying we don't yet really know, but the suggestion is that Labour would prevent such a weakening and would mean that the... um, standard housing method was a more influential on the number that eventually ends up in uh, in council's local plans but we still we don't know the consultation finished i think it was early earlier this year uh, they promised a response in spring and i think we're into summer now so who knows what's going on okay and what about greenbelt what what have they been saying about that this is the one area that surprises quite a few people that And once again, it's hard to see what the implications really will be. But they've suggested that they may make it easier for Greenbelt land to be built on. Councils and communities see fit. And there's quite an emphasis here on working with communities to identify sites. And I think what's what's been said, and I know Matthew Pennycook has talked about this, and Clive Betts, actually, the chair of the uh, um, DLUT Select Committee said this to me, that they're looking at odd bits of green belt, maybe garage sites, maybe not very attractive sites that could be built on that are within the green belt, not nice land within what is supposedly pretty countryside. But it's relatively vague. And as uh, Clive Bett said to me, Ben, Councils can already release Greenbelt land for development. So this may not be such a radical 
alteration as some people are suggesting. And of course, the conservationists are, are up in arms about it because Greenbelt land is sacrosanct, according to them. Yes, it seems to be that the, some of the things that Pennycook is talking about allowing low-quality brownfield land within the Greenbelt to be released to meet housing need or allowing more of it to be released. You know, the, the, you know the, clearly there are ways within the current MPPF that brownfield, some brownfield land within um, uh, within the Greenbelt can be released under certain circumstances. But it, it's just the fact, isn't it, that Labour are saying that while still giving themselves plenty of wiggle room, they're saying they would consider making it easier to build on, on the Greenbelt it's not a commitment, but it's very different from the kind of position we've seen taken in recent years by, for instance, the London Mayor, Sadiq Khan, who has been absolutely clear that he wouldn't envisage any building on the Greenbelt and clearly felt that it was a it was too politically risky to suggest that he would even countenance uh, uh, the case for building on the Greenbelt. And I think this demonstrates Labour's confidence now that they feel they can come out with this sort of statement rather than maybe pussyfooting around. How do informed sources think a Labour government might pursue planning to meet housing need? This is something that I've been trying to work out. And we could see new house building targets, something which might actually be broken down a bit more. So there's a greater consideration of the different sorts of needs in a district. So, you, you know, rather than a council being given a... A, a, a house building target of X number of homes, they might say, well, look, you know, we want 50% to be private for housing for sale and then break it down for different forms of affordable housing. You may get more more nuanced house building targets at a, a district level, reflecting the levels of need in, in those areas. It's, it's very unclear because, you know, they, they made this statement that, Councils need to be building in line with their local needs, but you know how will they ensure that? And th- this is potentially one way that they might do it. And this is something that Clive Betts suggested to you, I think. Yeah, we talked about it. I don't know how close Clive is to these things. So, as I said before, there are a lot of papers flying around, and I'm also understand it's being closely managed in Keir Starmer's office. There, there are, the specialists are sitting within Starmer's office discussing this it's not at a department level or shadow department level which is quite interesting any other thoughts about how labor might take this all forward there's a real question about how radical they will be in their early days and to some degree they clearly are very aware that planning has been through so many different upheavals over the last few years that they want to avoid causing another kind of delay as all new proposals are considered. Okay, well, that's very interesting. In your article, you mentioned quite a few other interesting things uh, that that was published uh, at the end of last week on planningresource.co.uk. So um, if people are interested, you can find uh, Ben's uh, article on uh, what we know about um, what Labour are planning to do in planning terms, should they get into power. A few interesting other things about um, the restoration of regional planning, I think we've already had uh, Labour on record saying that they would abandon the uh, proposed infrastructure levy that the government wants to use to replace Section 106 and the community infrastructure levy and several other things. So I'd steer people who are interested towards that article. But Ben, when are we likely to find out more about the detail of 
what Labour would do in government on planning. This is interesting, actually, because there's, a, there's, there's a, apparently quite a groundswell amongst Labour members, and particularly young Labour members, on this issue. And, and, and housing housing is a very live issue for young Labour Party members, not, not surprisingly, because, you know, we... <laughs> The young people are at the, you know, the, the the real sharp end of what's happening in terms of housing affordability. So, what what I've been told is is that there could easily be a debate on this at the party conference in the autumn, uh, and so there'll be some sort of paper that will go to party conference, which will clarify some of the ideas. So that that that's quite interesting. So you really need to watch this space. Okay, well, we definitely need to need to be there and um, and report that. Fantastic. Okay, well, many thanks for that, Ben. I'll leave you here reading the runes on um, on what's happening with Labour, and um, look forward to seeing you in Room One Hundred and Six again soon. Thank you, Richard. Look forward to it. While we're in the politics section of Room One Hundred and Six. It seems a good opportunity to find out a bit more about the results of the May local elections. Our special correspondent, Joey Gardner, has been down here researching an article about this, and I suspect I may find him down this narrow staircase. Ah, Joey. Hello, Richard. How are you? Good, thank you. So, tell us about the places where planning issues played a decisive impact in the local election results. Well, I think there were a number of places where it feels like planning issues played at least or had at least some some kind of impact in the results and i think probably number 1 on this list is um maidenhead and windsor which was probably the big headline on the on the friday morning after the local elections on the on the thursday a big flagship lib dem gain from the conservative party, uh, lots of um, celebrations in Lib Dem headquarters. This had been a place where the Conservative-led administration had put through a pretty controversial local plan with plans for around 16,000 homes to be built in a very big Greenbelt authority, very controversial. And I think the, the authority, after it being very much forcing through the the plan in a way against its own instincts because the government had set it the target and was aware it was unpopular in the last few weeks before the elections had happened the leader of the of the council had written to the government trying to backtrack from its own recently adopted plan possibly one might speculate spying the elections on the horizon there were judicial reviews against allocations in the plan and all sorts. But clearly that was one that went strongly against the Conservative Party and where the Liberal Democrats had campaigned against allocations in the um, in the plan. Another one where housing looks to have played a role is East Hertfordshire, which was a Conservative-run authority again, and where the Green Party went from one to... 19 councillors at the elections, you know, a huge increase for the Green Party. They campaigned really strongly there. And although it's never entirely possible to say exactly what catalyzed the success, and clearly they ran quite a focused campaign there, one of the things the Green Party did campaign around on that was opposition to 
the Harlow in East Gilston urban extension, an urban extension to Harlow, which was actually in the authority of East Hertfordshire, which had just been approved and which we we shall see what the impact of this is because there's still a kind of remaining consents that need to be delivered to allow that to go ahead. That's a huge kind of 10,000 home approval there. Decorum, another Lib Dem gain, that was another one where a Conservative local authority in that case had paused its local plan progress because of um, unhappiness around the housing target. The Lib Dem campaigners had promised to look again at the local plan there. And Medway would be another one that people would cite. Although, again, the picture is slightly unclear in Medway, but certainly this was a flagship gain by the Labour Party. And clearly, Labour nationally has been campaigning on a pro-housing stance. However, at a local level, Conservative commentators, including the local Conservative MP, had have blamed their loss of that seat on the high housing numbers that they had stuck to in that area that they said were unpopular with their voters in Medway. So a number of authorities there in which housing appears to have played at least some kind of a role particularly, and I guess in, in, a, you know, in a fairly traditional way that one has come to expect in making incumbent parties who are seen by voters as responsible for housing plans, um, taking responsibility for a perceived unpopularity of um, development decisions. Is there any evidence anywhere of, of voters supporting parties that are planning to meet development needs? Well, this is the kind of very interesting question that's, and I guess subject of debate that has arisen really out of these elections. There are a couple of areas that people have cited as potentially offering some evidence of voters at least tolerating greater levels of development. I mean, one might look to South Gloucestershire as an area where the Conservatives lost control of that authority despite the Conservatives campaigning uh, strongly against higher housing numbers in that area. Uh, I mean, it moved to no overall control. It wasn't a Labour gain, but but Labour certainly gained six councillors and they delivered quite a strong kind of pro-housing message in that area. They certainly themselves didn't campaign against, against the high housing numbers. It is quite difficult to find direct examples of people or of voters rewarding directly uh, pro-house building messages. I think the strongest point to make in in response to that is that Labour did emerge from these elections as the largest party in local government, and that's the first time they've been in that position since really the late 1990s or, or the very early 2000s. And they've gained that position one has to say, in spite of having set out a very, very strong pro-house building stance immediately prior to the local election poll. So a stance that would have been very much in voters' minds as they went to the polls. There was a, a major debate about house building at Prime Minister's questions the day before voters went to the polls. Labour clearly calculated that this was an area in which they could pick up votes. 
And just finally, very briefly, Joey, how do you think the election results might influence parties' planning policies going forward? Well, I think this is a very interesting question, and I think it's one that is in kind of policy circles being incredibly hotly debated. I mean, we've seen that debate really playing out in the full gaze of the public in the Conservative Party in in recent weeks with different wings of the Conservative Party talking about how how they're going to uh, take the party forward because clearly there are elements of the Conservative Party that are not happy with the recent direction and the uh, Michael Gove's recent consultation on weakening local house building targets. I think what people are pointing to is increasing evidence from polling, particularly of younger voters, that their decisions are starting to be motivated by their lack of housing options. Now, this is, you know, maybe a slight distance to get from there to saying that pro-house building policies will end up in a Labour government or someone voting for someone that offers very pro-housing policies. But a recent poll, for example, a majority, 55% of young Conservative voters said they would be more likely to vote Labour if Labour adopted a clear drive to make housing affordable for young people. Same poll, 80% of under 35s agreed in the need to increase housing supply. Meanwhile, a kind of ITV poll suggested that Labour is now leading the Conservative Party 60 to 15% in younger voters. So there is this sense that there is this cohort of younger voters that are quite supportive of a pro-house building agenda, and, and perhaps they're not as vocal as the anti-house building agenda. But that appears to be where Labour thinks it can gain some support. It appears to be much more of a problem for the Conservative Party because clearly their electoral base is much older. Demographically, they're much more reliant on older people voting for them. It's much more difficult, I think, for the Conservative Party to come to a a policy that has a pro-house building balance and retain its traditional supporters. So that's, I think, why this is a much more difficult position for the Conservative Party to uh, resolve. And, and it will be more interesting to see where that ends up, I think, at the next election. Okay, very interesting. Well, thank you very much, Joey. I'll leave you here, sifting through the uh, the think tank reports and the briefings from the public affairs companies, and uh, look forward to seeing you back again soon. Thanks very much, Richard. Great to speak. Great. That's another edition completed. We'll be back next week with another update on the past fortnight's biggest planning news stories. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. And to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Look out for Net Zero Connect, supported by planning, on the 21st of June in Birmingham. And our thanks to producers Hannah Holt from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink. And thanks for listening.